Are you living your life as the best version of yourself? Are you the best version of yourself? And when I think about how I would answer this question, I don't just think about my answer for the here and now, but I also think about how I would answer that question at the end of my life. Would I be the best Christian that I could possibly be? Would I have any regrets about my commitment to God? Now, how about you? As you think about how you would answer that question, what is the answer that you would come up with? And maybe, if you're really honest with yourself, maybe you don't like the answer you come up with. Maybe you know deep down inside you're not as committed to God as you could be. And I want to say, that's okay, because the good news is that God is not done with you yet. And God is still working in each of us, and we still have time to become the best followers of God that we can be. And maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus And I want to say that this message is also for you. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called Open House. It's about what we are as a church and why we do what we do. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the kinds of people in the church. You see, I brought up these three chairs with me. And these chairs represent the kinds of people in this church. And your position in this chair is determined by your values and your decisions. The chairs here represent a committed Christian, a comfortable Christian, and a non-Christian. Everybody here in this room is sitting in one of those chairs based on their values and their choices. And so we're going to see how values and choices are played out in God's word in determining whether somebody was committed, comfortable, or not following God. So if you'd like to follow along with me, you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. We'll start in verse 6. It'll also be on the screen. And before we get into it, I'll give you just a little bit of the background of what's going on in this passage. So, a long time ago, in a land far, far away, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. God told Abraham that he would make him the father of a whole entire nation and that God would give a land to his descendants. But before that promise could come to completion, Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt. And then God raised up a man named Moses to deliver the Israel nation from slavery in Egypt. And they went from being slaves to just wandering around in a wilderness for 40 years. And where we pick up in this passage, they are done wandering around in the wilderness. Now Moses is gone and they have Joshua as their leader. And they are in the process of possessing this land that God has promised to them. So let's pick up in verse 6. It says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kizite, and said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. 
and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And so this is a man named Caleb talking to Joshua, the leader of the whole nation. And Caleb's given Joshua a blast from the past. He's like, hey, you remember like 45 years ago when we were still wandering around in the desert, how Moses sent us out to check out the land of Cana? And you can read this in Numbers chapter 13. Moses sent out 12 spies to go scope out the land of Canaan. Now one spy from every tribe, and Caleb and Joshua were among those spies. And after 40 days of scoping out the land, all these spies came back, and they all had the same report. This land is flowing with milk and honey. This is a cool place to be, like, is loaded with resources. But 10 out of those 12 spies also came to the conclusion that, yeah, but we shouldn't go into this land. Like, this land is full of big, burly men, and they live in fortified cities. And compared to them, we're like little grasshoppers. But Caleb and Joshua, they clung to the promise of God. And they're like, guys, this is the land that God has promised us. If he's promised us this land, he will give it to us. Let's go for it. But everybody else, the hearts of everybody else just melted in fear. But it says here, Joshua, or Caleb says, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. You see, Caleb didn't just follow God. He says, the Lord my God. Caleb had a personal relationship with God. And that led him to follow God wholeheartedly, without any exceptions. Wherever God leads, whatever God calls him to do, Caleb is all in. And let's keep on reading in verse 9. And then it says, So on that day, Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time that he said this to Moses, while Israel moved around in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. You see, Caleb didn't just have an inflated view of his walk with God. Even 40 years, 45 years ago, Moses recognized that Caleb followed God wholeheartedly. It's just on a side note, do you guys catch that? He says he's 85 years old and feels just as good as when he was 40. Like, how many of you know an 85-year-old who's, like, vigorous and ready to go out to battle? Like, Caleb is a total boss. He's on a whole other level and Bible scholars and archaeologists have tried to put together some data to put together a picture of what they think Caleb might have looked like. And this is what they've come up with. <laughs> this is an 85-year-old who is vigorous and ready to go out into battle. Caleb's not ready for retirement. In fact, he's as, as ambitious as he has ever been. And this is the request 
that he makes to Joshua. In verse 12, he asks, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. And so Hebron belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kizite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Now, that's the third time it says that Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And we can see that he valued a relationship with God, and because he valued a personal relationship with God, he made choices to follow God all in, wholeheartedly. And then we see the outcome of that is he was able to possess the land that he wanted. Now maybe you're thinking, how is it obedience to God to go into a land and just kick people out? Like this is a pretty raw deal for the people who are living there, the, the Anakites. And so... I just want to backtrack a little bit and, and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16, we see God's command given through Moses. He says, However, in the cities of the nations of the Lord your God is given you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Persezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. And here's why. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. You see, God knew that if these wicked people were allowed to remain in the land, then they would lead his people to sin against God, to worship false gods. These people living in the land at the time were very wicked people who had earned God's judgment, and they were like a poison to the, to the Israelite nation. Now, to kind of give you a picture of this, I'll tell you, one of my favorite activities is backpacking. I love to load up all my camping gear into a backpack and just go into the deep wilderness. And when I'm out there, I have to get my water from streams, ponds, sometimes dirty mud puddles. And that would be dangerous, except that I use a water. So to give you a picture of that, I've got a cup here, some dirty water, in my camping filter. And so God says to the whole nation, all right, these other nations living in the land of Canaan, they're like a poison. You need to filter them out, otherwise they will corrupt and destroy you. And since Caleb valued his relationship with God and followed him wholeheartedly, he did as God commanded. So he goes in and with the God's help, he filters out the land for his possession. But here's the thing with a water filter. It's a real pain to use it when I go camping. It's one of the last things I want to do. I got to squeeze the water through that bag. And it's just a little trickle that comes out. And sometimes it feels like three steps forward, one step back. 
I filter out this clean water. Then I got to take some of the clean water and plunge the filter with it. So there's times when I'm filtering water, I'm like, it doesn't look that bad. Like, I could probably just drink this water. Like, this is way too much work. And that's exactly the same kind of attitude that some of the other tribes of Israel had. We read this in Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan, or Tanakh, or Dor, or Ibium, or Megiddo, and their surrounding settlements. For the Canaanites were determined to live there in that land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. All right, so it says, the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. Yeah, big shocker, right? Like, picture the Israelites coming in and saying, all right, God has promised us this land. It's ours now, so pack up and get out. You think the Canaanites are going to be like, oh, okay, if your God said so. Like, ah, nope, this is our land. And then it says that the Israelites, when they became strong, when they became strong, they finally obeyed God completely and wiped them out. Ah, that's not what it says. When they became strong, they obeyed God half-heartedly. Instead of driving them out and destroying them like God had said, instead they just put them into forced labor. And we continue to see this in verse 29. It says, Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nathol, or so these Canaanites lived among them, but Zebulun did subject them to forced labor. You see, these guys obey God to a point. They're like, all right, filter the land of these evil people. We're on it. Um, all right, that's a lot of work. They, these Canaanites, they want to live here. They're putting up a good fight. You know what? We'll just, we'll take the easy route. And how would you like it if, you, if your cup of water had just, just a little bit of poison in it? Like, yeah, it's a lot of work to filter out that poison. How much you want? Ah, just a little bit's okay. Well, that's kind of what happened here. You see, we can tell from their choices how much they really valued God. Their choice to only obey God up until it got hard shows that, yeah, they probably were followers of God, but they were only willing to obey God as much as it was easy for them. They were only willing to follow God when it was easy. And as the outcome of their choice is exactly what God said he didn't want to happen. God said he didn't want them to have the wicked people dwelling among them because it would lead them to sin and to worshiping false gods. And that's exactly what happens. If we look over at verse 10 of chapter 2, this is after, uh, after Joshua and that whole other generation had passed away. Verse 10, it says, 
After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. You see, we can tell from their actions that they didn't value a relationship with God at all. It's not just that they didn't have a personal relationship with God. They also didn't even know the history of everything that God had done for them. And so they sinned against God and they worshipped false gods. And so as we've talked about these, each person or each generation or tribe that we've talked about represents one of these chairs. You see, if Caleb was sitting in one of these chairs, he would be in the chair of the committed. We've talked about Manasseh and Ephraim and all these other tribes who just follow God until it got really hard. They're the chair of the comfortable. And then we talked about this next generation that came up that didn't know God at all or even what God had done for the nation. And they, are rep they would be sitting in the chair of the non-Christian. And the question for us this morning is, what chair are you sitting in? And I think we can, can, we can assess what chair we're sitting in based on our values. So let's start with your value of God. If you are a committed Christian, then you have a personal relationship with God. You ask yourself the question, what, what can I do for God? And I think the people who go through their life asking that question, what can I do for God, are people who keep at the forefront of their minds everything that God has done for them. Remembering that God loved everyone so much that he sent his son to earth. That Jesus gave up his rightful position in heaven and all the glory that comes with it to be a man and to walk the earth as a servant. And Jesus knows what it's like to put in a hard day's work. Jesus experienced sweat and blood. He knows what it's like to go through suffering, through grief, and through heartbreak. And Jesus didn't have to go through any of that, but he did it for you. He did it so that he could live the perfect life on earth that none of us could ever live. And then he was a perfect sacrifice on the cross and took upon himself the wrath of God that we all deserve so that we can have a relationship with God. And when we remember that, if you're a committed Christian who lives in light of what God has done for you, and it changes your whole perspective and how you think about what you can do for God. You see, it's not that you have to read your Bible. It's not that you have to pray or you have to go to church and serve. When you're a committed Christian, you see it different. You see that you get to read your Bible. You get to draw near to the God who loves you and made a way for you to have a relationship with him. You 
get to talk to God through prayer. The creator of the universe, the one who holds the stars in the sky and cares about every single one of your needs. You get to serve in the church and to be a part of the best community ever because it's God's design. You see, for a committed Christian, a relationship with God is, is a high value. It's a relationship to grow in. But things look a little bit different if you're in the chair of the comfortable Christian. You see, if you're in this chair, you don't value God as a relationship to grow in, but you think of like a standard to maintain, like a religion to just do, make all of the requirements for. And so you probably live a compartmentalized life like six out of seven days of the week, that's for yourself. You go on and live life just like anybody else. But since you're a Christian, then you just tack some religion onto what you're already doing. You'll go to church on a Sunday. You'll still read the Bible just to check that off. Like, all right, I've done that. And you'll pray throughout the week, even if it's only at the kitchen table with the family or praying one of those prayers when you're in a hurry and you can't find your car keys. I've been there too. You see, this, this chair is all about just religious obligations. And then we have the third chair here. And in, anyone sitting in this chair doesn't value a personal relationship with God at all. They might not even believe that God exists. There's different reasons for why they might be in that chair. You know, maybe they're following a different belief system, or maybe they could tell you all of the Bible answers, but they're just not a follower of God. Another value that, of committed Christians is their obedience to God. We read that Caleb followed God wholeheartedly. He was all in, even if it was tough, even if it was difficult. And if we're Christians who are following God wholeheartedly, I think that means we love the people who are really hard to love. We forgive others when they hurt us really deeply. And we work really hard at being an example of Jesus in everything that we do, even in the little things. So if you're, if you're a committed Christian, I would say, whatever you do for God, do it to 100% unless you're donating blood. Then you, then you don't have to. But if you're in the chair of the comfortable Christian, you'll, you'll follow God up, and, up to a point, up until it gets too hard or it doesn't fit your agenda anymore. Maybe overall, you're a loving person, but if you pressed a little bit deeper, there is a few people in your life that yeah, you just, you can't love them. Or when it comes to forgiveness, you'll, you'll forgive people up to a point. But once somebody hurts you so bad, once they cross a line, then you're just unwilling to forgive. Or maybe you've become comfortable with some of the, the little sins in your life, the things that you can kind of just justify away. Maybe it's just a lie here and there. Maybe it's drinking too much, or, all right, this one gets me, maybe it's speeding. I, I, I know it's tough, 
I would hate to admit that it's a sin, but this morning, I think I was following a committed Christian because they were doing like 40 miles an hour in the 40. I was like, I'm preaching on this this morning. I cannot pass them. And we might say like, yeah, speeding, that's not a sin. But then you pass a cop, what do we all do? We all go on the brakes. So we know something's up. But if you're in the chair of the non-believer, obedience to God, that's not a value for you at all. Why would you try to be obedient to an authority that you don't even have a relationship with or respect? And so if you're sitting in the third chair, your value is probably just obeying the law or following whatever the cultural standards are for morality. And also, you're in one of these chairs probably based on your values in parenting. If you're a committed Christian, your value in parenting is to raise up godly children. Children who will also sit in this chair, who have a personal relationship with God, who are also all in and obeying God wholeheartedly. And some of you, maybe you don't have kids who are walking with God. And that doesn't mean that you're not a committed Christian. I know so many of you are still praying for your kids or trying to take advantage of any opportunity to share Jesus with them. And I would say, keep up the good work. The value in parenting for the comfortable Christian is totally different. Their priority is just to raise up good kids. You see, it's about behavior modification, not spiritual transformation. And so they're just focused on how others view their kids on the outside, and they're not so much focused on what God sees in the heart of their child. So as long as they can raise up kids who look good on the outside, they're, they're good kids and they're kind to others, they would see that as a win. And then we have the chair of the non-Christian. And I would think that, for the most part, their goal in parenting is to raise up successful children. Children who do well in sports or excel in education, that can land their dream job or be financially stable, to be successful in all the ways that the world sees as successful. And how you raise your chair, what chair you're sitting in when you raise your kids, I think, for the most part, can determine where your children end up. If you are a committed Christian, there's a really good chance that your children could be committed Christians. But here's what's really, really concerning, is if you're a comfortable Christian, your children probably aren't even going to be comfortable Christians. They're probably going to be in this chair. And we, we all start out in the chair of the non-Christian, but God's desire is for all of us to be in the chair of the committed Christian. Here at Bridgewater, we talk about next steps, but I don't want you to see the comfortable Christian as a sort of next step to get to the place of the committed. We don't want your next step to be comfortable. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, if true, Christianity is of the utmost importance. If untrue, it is of no importance. The only thing that Christianity cannot be is of moderate importance. And so, wherever you're at, if you are, 
If you are here, if you're a comfortable Christian, my prayer and my hope is that all of us will land in this chair. And maybe as you've made an assessment of yourself this morning, you're thinking, I'm already in the chair of the committed Christian. And I would say, that's great. But don't just give yourself a pat on the back and then check out. Because even if you're in this chair, I think our default is to slide down here, even if just for a moment. As I was preparing this sermon, I was trying to come up with some kind of illustration for the comfortable Christian and only obeying God partially. Like I was doing a search on YouTube of like half-hearted jobs or lazy workers. I couldn't come up with anything. And so I started praying about it and God gave me an illustration that I did not like because it was about me being a comfortable Christian. So just last week, I had planned out this trip to the Adirondacks. My plan was to do some canoeing and fishing for three days. I left on a Wednesday night, and while I was in New York, I stopped at a Dick's Sporting Goods to pick up my fishing license. And my intention was to get a three-day license, but when I was at the counter, I realized that a three-day license is almost as expensive as a seven-day license. So I could get this three-day license for like 40 bucks, or I could get a two-day license for 20 bucks. I was like, all right, I'll get a license for two days with the intention of fishing for three days. And as I walked out to my car, I was feeling pretty guilty. I'm like, man, if Jesus was standing next to me, he'd probably be like, hey, why'd you lie in there? Like, that's pretty much like stealing. But I kind of shrugged it off. I was like 20 minutes down the road, and my car totally broke down. And I was like, it's God's judgment. He's shortening my trip to two days because I only bought a two-day fishing license. <laughs> Did I hear a praise God back there? <laughs> okay. God disciplines those whom he loves. And so I'm thankful that God is still reining me back in. Absolutely. <laughs> See, I was willing to obey God up to 20 bucks. I wasn't willing to obey God up to $40. That seemed like too much. And so no matter what chair you're in, we have to work really hard at staying committed to God. And so maybe the next question is, how how do you move up to this chair, or how do you stay in this chair if you are already there? And I think the answer starts with your values. And you can do this right here in this moment. You can align your values with what God values. You, you can say, today, I am done just trying to fulfill a religious standard I want to have a personal, committed relationship with God. I don't want to just obey God when it's easy. I want to be all in for him. And you can make that, that choice. You can set your values. But ultimately, the course of our life is not determined by our wishes and our desires, but I think by our choices. You see, I think it's the choices that you make today and tomorrow, and the day after that, and day after day after day is what determines the person you will be down the road. And so I want to say, get your values 
in line, and then make choices that come from those values. Make the choices today that will set you up to be the person that you want to be down the road. And I think that's some of the best choices that you can be making. And this isn't legalism, but I would say reading your Bible, getting to know God, talking to God through prayer, getting involved in a small group. Actually, if, if you're not doing that already, we have these on-track devotionals out at our Welcome Center. And I would just really encourage you to pick one of these up on your way out. This is a free resource for you. Or maybe, maybe you're not in this chair, maybe you're not in this chair, maybe you're in this chair, and you still have some hesitations. You're like, you know what? I don't know if I want to jump all into Christianity just yet. And I'd say, that's fine. But what I would really encourage you to do is to get involved in a small group. I'm leading a small group on Monday nights that's all about just answering some of those tough questions about faith, answering questions about God or maybe some hesitations that you have. Or maybe you've grown up in the church and you think that you have a relationship with God, but you're just, you're not sure yet. I'd say this group is for you. And if Monday night doesn't work for you, Kurt and Amanda Goglin have a very similar group on Saturday nights as well. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that someday we'll stand before God knowing that we were all in for him, that we would have no regrets about our commitment to him in the end, that we would be the best followers of him that we can be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can have a relationship with you. I know that's something that's so easy to take for granted. And so I ask that you would just keep it in the front of our minds, everything that you have done for us, your incredible love to send Jesus to earth and to suffer in our place. God, we don't deserve that. Uh, you are totally worthy of all of our devotion, all of our worship, and I ask that we would make the choices today and tomorrow and the next day that will set us up for being sold out followers for you. I ask that we would surround ourselves with people who are on that same course doing the same thing. And I ask that as we close out this morning, uh, that we would worship you and give you uh, the worship that you deserve. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.